Well, as Pastor Andrew and uh, you were saying, I'm a youth and young adult pastor from California, Fremont, California. We're in the East Bay. Anybody from California in this room? Awesome. Great. <laughs> the Lord. The Lord is everywhere, so I heard him say me. Um, <laughs> so I'm from California and uh, born and raised in, in Palm Springs where they have the Coachella Fest. You know, um, it's not it's not it's not what it is, it's not what it looks like on the pictures. Actually the second poorest city in the world or in the nation is there. It's about maybe nine miles away from where they have the Coachella Fest and I was born there about ninety eight percent Hispanic in my city and uh, so hugged up next to the border. Um, just a quick gonna give you guys a quick intro about who I am. Is that okay? Yes. Awesome, awesome. And so um, uh, let me just tell you my present life right now. I'm a youth pastor, young adult pastor, serving. Been there for about three years. Prior to that, I was serving with the call in New England for about seven and a half years. Yeah. Um, just being in a prayer room and praying all day. Um, super great. Um, and, uh, and the Lord called me, me and my wife, up to the Bay Area. And we have a beautiful little girl. I think there's a picture up there. Um, that's my baby girl. Yeah, her name's Haven Grace. Haven Grace. Um, she's so pretty, and she's right now. I'm her favorite. Oh, she says Dada, but right now she calls the toilet Dada. She calls everything Dada. So I don't really know. If she knows what's going on. I'm just I receive it. Um, you have that other picture on there. Sick. That's me. My my wife. That's that's Haven Grace right there when she was like, I don't even know. Um, to be honest, my my, my wife was just like ten months and two weeks, and I'm like, dang. Um, yeah, my wife is pretty swagged out. Um, yeah, she's amazing. She's amazing. That's, that's probably, you know, she's probably three months, I think. Anyways, her name is Jess. Um, her name is Jessica, and I love her to death. She's an amazing worship leader. I always say she's my favorite worship leader. Um, she's amazing. I miss her. I can't wait to see her tonight. Um, and Jesus, let me take that off. Thank you so much. And so, uh, <laughs> Yeah, so, so I, I was raised in a really, really bad neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? And um, my mom is actually one of 18 kids. And um, that's a big family there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, do you have 18 kids? There's 10, so that is 18. Yeah, that's amazing. 10 is a, a big number. Um, that's awesome. My mom didn't want to carry that, so there's only four of us. Um, and my mom... Uh, all my uncles are in the Mexican Mafia. Yeah, right? Not a surprise show. Um, and um, <laughs> again, it's okay to laugh, right? So, um, <laughs> so all my uncles are in the Mexican Mafia. So that was the culture that I was raised in. My brother right now is looking at 38 years to life and uh, in prison. And uh, I think if someone would look at me right now and go, man, you look like you were raised in a beautiful Christian family and, and your mom had, you know, so sweet, you know. My mom went to jail for attempted murder at 15. I mean, she's crazy. You know what I'm saying? No, she's crazy for God now. You know what I'm saying? She's a little Latina lady. She's all like, you know what I'm saying? She's the one she'll look at you and be like, you've been sitting, haven't you? You know what I'm saying? I'm like, whoa, hey, pause. You know what I'm saying? Um, this, is, this is awesome. This is awesome. We're family in this room. It's okay. And, uh, don't ever tell her I said that, okay? All right? All right. She was she's like, I'm going to beat you with the chancla, mijo. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
can just throw it around. I don't know how it comes back, you know. Um, hits you twice, you know. Um, she's amazing. She's amazing. Um, so my dad had passed away in 2005. I was just turned nine years old. And um, that was a hard, hard moment for me. I remember it was clear as day. It was 9 o'clock in the morning. And um, I remember my mom and my sister coming to tell me, Meal, your son, your, your son, your dad had passed away this morning. And I remember saying this as a nine-year-old kid, Joe, you will never feel again. You will never feel again. And so my mom got remarried about a year later and uh, to a guy who was um, a men's director at church. And um, they got married in about six months. So about a year and, and some change, my mom got remarried. I think she didn't know how to process that grief, that, 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 that loss of her husband. Um, and this guy ended up totally being like a wolf in sheep clothing. And my mom and I, for about six and a half years, where I was in foster care systems and um, all kinds of crazy stuff, my life just come, got, really got flipped upside down overnight. And um, my mom was getting physically abused for those six and a half years. I mean, 12 years old, seeing your mom getting pushed down 12 flight of stairs is going to do something to a kid, right? And so here I am, this kid, I'm just like, man, what is happening? And my mom had backslid, and I remember her telling me we were sleeping in this broken uh, 1996 green Kia in Indio, California. And we're sleeping there, That's, that was our home. And the engine never worked, you know what I mean? It was just a beat up car that was off to the side and that's where we made home. And, uh, and I remember her telling me, the day she backslid, she goes, I'm done praying for you. She told me, 13, I'm done praying for you and your brothers. Go pray for yourself. And she leaves and I didn't see her for two and a half months. And uh, I didn't know what to do. I just had to figure something out. And um, for, for those two and a half months, I was walking to school every day and it was wild, man. No one knew what was going on in my life, but me, obviously. Well, I'm there, going back to school, back and forth, back and forth. I ended up doing my own thing. 17 years old, I get radically encountered by God. I'm sitting in the center row in the back, you know what I'm saying? And um, this guy's preaching, and I've never heard anybody preach like this before. And he, and my mom at this point had just given her life back to Jesus. So she invites me to this revival meeting, you know, where the carpet is purple and they still have plants on the stage. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> anybody relate? You know what I'm saying? And there's flag, and this is like Yeshua, and it's all the names of God all around, you know. And um, yeah, it was. They're called banners. And I remember walking in, I'm like, yeah, this is normal. I remember this, you know. So I sit in the back. My mom's sitting with me, and there's two things. Or there's one thing that you don't do to an Hispanic mom. You never tell her no. You know, you're going to get slapped. You know what I'm saying? Bam, quit. Um, and so I remember she invites me, and I go, and this guy's preaching on things I've never heard anybody preach on. And he goes, if you want God tonight, you come and you cry out to God. He goes, you're not a parrot. I'm not going to tell you something and repeat after me. And I was like, and I remember this moment so clear because I looked at my mom and it was as if this guy is like 
in my life. He is preaching on things that I had never told anybody before. And he makes this response, and I literally look at my mom. I said, Mom, did you tell this guy anything about me? She said, up. And you know what she said? She goes, she goes like this. Mijo, I want to say nothing. <laughs> he gives the altar call. I physically run up. Because he said, too many people walk down with shame, but you run with joy. So I ran there for four and a half hours. I'm weeping on the altar. I have a vision, and it's my dad. And he said, son, you are called to preach the gospel with urgency, fervency, and boldness. I had no idea what that even meant. I just knew. What I heard, and here I am, this kid who's messed up. And I'm cussing and praying and repenting all at the same time. I'm not even kidding. I'm like, ask the devil, God. I'm tired of this life. You're like, is that even okay to say? But can I tell you that God is not after perfect prayer. He's after honest prayer. Dear Daddy John, here I am at golf park again. I just give you my time right now. Speak to me, Abba. What do I want to listen to today? Upper room, mm, too much. Those on perfect. You know what I'm saying? Like, like. And we create this perfect scenario. And God said, I actually want to catch you on your way to work. Yeah. <laughs> I want to catch you in the busyness. And I want you to get honest with me. And that's why I love the secret place because there's no one there yeah. to look at you weep and snot all over the place. Yes, <laughs> and tonight, <laughs> this morning, I want to encourage our secret place. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not trying to make it more prettier. I'm actually trying to make it more boring. Yeah. What do I mean by that? Do it. Come on. What do I mean by boring? That you get in places where it is boring, but God is in the room. And you are now praying beyond your emotions and your feelings. And you are not asking God, visit me for me, but I want a, I want a visitation so I can see you clearly. Yeah. And see you more right. And, and see how beautiful you actually are. In all the ways that you are. Show me your glory. And then put it in me. And then send me anywhere. I think we have a lot of altar calls on being the next great evangelist. Being the next great revivalist. But I, I believe if you get the heart posture of John 15, and he says, you cannot do anything apart from me. Whoa. He's got slain right there. Shut up. Shut up. Right? 
these birds, I might just tick them off, you know. <laughs> he says, if you, like you cannot do anything apart from me. But we skip to the part of, ask of me, and I'll give you the desires of your heart. But there's like six verses about dying to you. Uh, <laughs> uh -oh. yeah. I have another else too. It's okay. Let's go. But Pastor Joe, what about me? I'm like, yeah, you're supposed to be dead as Roman six. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think once we get into this place of the reality of John 15, and I think a lot of times, sometimes we have this little pride thing in our salvation, like, yeah, God chose me. And I love John 15, because he says, I chose you before you chose me. All you did is say yes. And you stopped saying it along the way, and now you're jaded, complacent, and bitter. And you show up to check in and to check out, and you have no fire in you, you have smoke. You're just around people who have fire, and you just smell like it. So it's only taking you a, a certain amount of time until you're the real you catches up. That's why character is important. That's why integrity is not optional. <laughs> I was like, mm, yeah, I'm going to go to the church across the street. <laughs> so I gave my life to Jesus that night. changes everything for me. I was actually engaged at that time. Probably didn't even know that. I was engaged at that time to someone completely different. I go home, and I literally start breaking everything. It's crazy. Start shattering stuff. She's on the bed. What is going on? And I literally look at her and I say, God told me you're not the one. <laughs> I literally drive her to the bank, give her $2,500, drop her off at her parents' house and never call me again. She calls my mom. She says, says Joe is losing his mind. And my mom's response, so sad. Me, huh? You're not the one for him. I don't know. <laughs> oh. You're just not the one. That's what God said. <laughs> I leave everything behind. And what I didn't know what I was saying then, that I know what I was saying now, is no regrets, no retreats, no reserves. Yeah. I didn't want to have nothing to go back to. Nothing to go back to. There was no plan B in my salvation. I tried that, didn't work. That's why I was jaded and in the world. <laughs> so here, here I am. I give everything. I move in with my mom. I do my first 40 day fast, and I was fasting hot sauce. <laughs> That's Andrew. I eat hot sauce with everything, man. That's what's up. Yeah, we eat everything. It's kind of sad, but anyway. <laughs> Do my first 40 day fast, fasting tapa pill. I'm not even kidding. I mean, it was a real struggle for me. 
I was like, eggs suck. Eggs. <laughs> you might as well just do a water fast. Be nothing. And I said, I ate Cholula. You know? And I said, Lord, you said tapatio. Then the Lord's like, I asked for any hot sauce. And I was like, ah. Even Tabasco, that's like vinegar. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like spicy vinegar. <laughs> And I remember in that moment, um, I gave up everything, didn't have a phone, and my, I ended up getting a phone after those 40 days, and um, my cousin calls me, because in that encounter with my dad, my dad named 10 family members that were gonna go to hell if I did not preach the gospel to them. So 40 days later, or a little bit more, for, a little bit over 40 days, I get a, a call from my cousin, EJ, and he's like, hey, we're having a big old quinceanera tonight. You want to come over? And I was like, for sure. You know, I'm down for some kind of mitzah, you know? So you're like, Chipotle is the superior. You know what I'm I show up to that meeting off this, fresh off this 40-day fast. And my cousin Gabriel, as soon as I walk in, my cousin Gabriel starts manifesting a demon. I have no language for this, man. Like, in these 40 days, I didn't have a Bible because I was like, God, I need to hear from you, not from the Bible. Like, I was just like really intense. But now I know like the value of the word of God, amen? <laughs> Some of you are like, he's safe, you know? <laughs> safe, he slid and he just slid and I was about to leave. No. <laughs> But what God was telling me in those 40 days when I started to read the word, one of the first things that I read was that dying to self thing and being alive to God. And I remember the Lord was talking to me about that in the 40 days. Die to yourself. Die to yourself. So I show up to my cousin's house. Boom, my cousin Gabriel starts manifesting his demon. I'm like, what is going on? Boom, he gets delivered, then my cousin Jasmine starts manifesting a demon. And I'm like, what is happening in this room right now? I just came for tacos. <laughs> 10 out of those that my dad told me in that counter, nine got saved that night. Wow. I was just like, I walked away with a plate of carne asada, you know what I'm saying? And I was just like sweating because I didn't know what to say. All I knew to say is like, uh, get out in Jesus' name. Yeah. And they like, you know, they'd be like sleeping. <laughs> Fast forward, I'm at this place, I'm, I'm about to start college. I was gonna be the first person in my family to go to college. That was like huge for me. That was huge. All my uncles, all my theaters were like, they either got pregnant super early or in prison. And I was like, I wanna make some, I wanna make a difference in my generation. First day of school, I walk on the campus. And the Lord says, you're called to full-time ministry. He goes, why don't you be the first pastor? Why don't you be the first minister who, who fully surrendered their lives? I remember getting my backpack. I was like, so you just saved me 60 grand. <laughs> I didn't know what I didn't know what the next step was. I ended up moving into this little D2 
DE trailer in Yucca Valley where Joshua Tree is. Everyone's like, I love Joshua Tree. <laughs> Look, I was there before it was trendy. <laughs> and I'm staying in this little trailer with two windows, a carpet that didn't fully fit, a twin bed, a broken dresser, no running water, electricity. And my job was to clean the church every Wednesday night, to clean the church every Sunday, and to be the landscaper, and the audio tech, and the photographer, and the I mean, I was the token guy. I was the unicorn. And they were like, we want you forever. I was there for a year. And something got cultivated in me, and I think it was a lifestyle of prayer. I really do believe, I really do believe it was a lifestyle of prayer. And in those nights, I would pray all night and I would call for all night prayer meetings and I realized that people do not like to pray. And then that gave me a burden to like pray harder. I was like, people like to pray, sick. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I was going for it, I had no language, I have no idea who this guy Luigi is. I find his YouTube video, I download it illegally. You know, and I'm playing this thing on repeat, and it's like as if I found my tribe. Some moments later, I ended up running with the guy, and, and I ended up serving his vision for about seven and a half years. And in that time, I met my wife Jess, who's just absolutely amazing. And um, and in that whole season. I remember as I, 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 I'm now currently in ministry school, and my heart posture was this. I'm going to go to the call school, which was called Staffa Spiritual Air Force Academy, super intense, right? And um, I was going to the school, and my thing was this. I'm going to go there for a year, get stirred, get a prayer life, and go see revival back in my hometown. I have this whole thing planned out. I get dropped off. My spiritual mom says this to me. She said, you know what? I think you need to be here for three years. I was like, that was not my plan, but you know what I'm saying? So three years turned to seven and a half years, very quick. And in that time, I ended up getting cancer. And a year or a few months actually before I found out I had cancer, I met with my spiritual mom. And she said this to me. She said, Joe, I was praying for you this morning. Now, one, that's scary to hear, okay? And it's, it's already 7 o'clock, and she said, I'm praying for you this morning. I'm like, what time do you get up? You know what I'm saying? Like, you not sleep, lady. You know what I'm saying? And uh, she was praying for you this morning, and I felt like the next season of your life is really going to be on building character. She says this to me. She goes, I really feel like it's Romans 5 for you. She's like, that perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. And then the love of God is poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit. Little did I know what the cost of that was going to look like in a few months. Now, I'm not, to, I'm not saying that God gave me cancer to build character. Gave my heart. But he says he uses all things for his glory if we let him. I had that last part. If we let him. I'm like, how am I? I remember when I got the news. It was November 21st, 2017. Got the news. Joe, we have Hodgkin's left on the stage three. I weigh 120 pounds. And I always say that, like this person ate that person. You know what I'm saying? It's a lot of work I got to do. Yeah. 
And I remember that that news came, and um, I remember I was sitting in my twin bed. They're like, "Yeah, you have hot the foam. It's all over your body." And so for seven months, I chose to eat clean, eat green. You know what I'm saying? Any of those guys, you know, I did overnight oats, you know, and uh, all that kind of stuff. I even had like a water purifier in my shower. Like I went intense. And uh, and. After those seven months, I ended up having to go for chemo because I was getting sicker. And I weighed about 120 pounds, and I was dying. My liver was shutting down. My kidneys were shutting down. And I want to talk to you about this next part because John 15 is so crucial in in this next part. Because I just told you a very, very broad overview of just a little glimpse of what I lived through. And every single one of us has some sense of pain and hurt and and trauma and things that God longs to heal. And he never exposes us so that he can laugh at us. He highlights it so he can heal. Does that make sense? And so what I'm going to talk about in the next part, it's going to get a little vulnerable, but it's okay. Because I really do believe if you can get this, if you can get this place healed, you can actually start to see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your personal walk with God. Like never before. And I really do believe that this is probably one of the most key inf- like, like hindrance in our lives. And it's called offense. <laughs> You're like, dang, this is this is this is indeed. It's okay. So here I am in the hospital the second time. It's 2018, uh, uh, and um, I have already been fighting for about seven months, and um, I think it's July or something like that, and I get readmitted into the hospital, and um, she gets my blood count back, and she says, Joe, your blood count's a 3.1 blood count, which is unheard of. She goes, do you not see your eyes? My eyes were yellow, my lips were white, I mean, it was crazy. The skin off my face was peeling off because I was lacking blood and oxygen to my heart. My heart was beating at 137 BPMs. Just me going to the restroom and coming back, I would feel like I ran a marathon. So here I am in the hospital. My doctor comes and sees me. He goes, Joe, what are you doing, man? You should have been in remission by now. And he says this. He goes, it's not like you can eat a carrot, go home, and it's all going to go away. I remember when he said to me, it was like, hey, that sucks. That's what I've been trying to do, you know. They pushed me up into my room. I knew I was going to get admitted that night. When I got admitted that night, I'm in the elevator with my doctor, James Chun, and he says this to me. He goes, Joe, do you have any unforgiveness in your heart? No, he's not a believer. He's not a Christian at all. He goes, do you have any unforgiveness or bitterness in your heart? He goes, I would hate for you to die with that in your heart. He goes, bitterness, unforgiveness are some of the lead causes to arthritis, cancers in the liver. I mean, he started naming off all this stuff. And he goes, I just would hate for you to die with that. That's what it tells him. So I'm sitting there 12 o'clock at night. By myself, EKGs and all the Gs are wrapped up all over me. 
And that word is coming to me over and over and over again. God, or uh, the word is, do you have any unforgiveness in your heart? I'm sitting there in that hospital bed and I, I literally ask the Lord, Lord, you obviously think I do. So do I have anything in my heart? And all of a sudden, all these memories and emotions came back of my, my, of my stepdad beating my mom. At this point of my life, I am preaching the gospel, leading prayer meetings, and traveling all across this nation. Leading people into prayer meetings, into fasting. I mean, it was epic. And here I am, three years in, and I have so much dysfunction and offense and bitterness in my heart. And I remember the Lord told me this. It's not enough to forgive with words, but can you weep with compassion over him? Wow. Friend, I walked through so much inner healing, and I thought I got it all out. <laughs> I did the sozo, yo-yo, whoa-whoa, you know what I'm saying? I did it all. But there were certain places in my heart that I was afraid of God's sin. So here I am. The Lord tells me this, and all of a sudden I get this revelation, and I start seeing my stepdad, who he was created to be as a son, and because of his dysfunction, he was causing dysfunction. Yeah. And I just start weeping over him. Give him so much grace, the Lord says, Pick up your mat and sin no more. How many of you heard it like that? Yeah. It actually says, sin no more, pick up your mat and walk. And I heard the Lord say, I care more about your sin issue than I did about your healing issue in that moment. I want the things that no one can see. I want the things that no one can see. What people can see is that you're really gifted and talented and amazing and you dress really nice. But what God's like, I want the real you. I want the real you. If I can get the real you. If you could just be honest with me. Here I am in that moment. I'm praying, weeping, all this stuff happens. And I hear the Lord as clear as day. He tells me that again. It's not enough to forgive the words, but can you weep with compassion? In that moment, my mom comes in in the room and I'm mad at her. I'm angry. I said, Man, I just felt like you dragged me like Woody, you know, like I felt like it was Andy. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, you're dragging me through your dysfunction, your your pain, all this stuff, and I'm blaming her. And she looks at me, she says, Me only. Only God can hit your heart. She walks away. She comes back after this deep moment I had with God. And the Lord said, look around. And I remember looking. I was getting blood transfusion on both of my arms. And I heard the Lord. I am washing you with my son's blood. Wow. After that moment, I had that deep inner healing moment with the Lord. My blood, my blood count started climbing back up. 
I still had to go about, I did about 27 rounds of chemotherapy, about five or six rounds of, of radiation, and each cycle is two treatments. Every two weeks, I'm going into that hospital getting chemotherapy. And I remember the, my doctor said this, John, you should eat a lot right now because in the seventh cycle, you lose your appetite. Well, the eighth cycle came and it was still there. The ninth cycle came and I was still eating. And then they finally said, hey, are you walking? Are you running? Are you working out? I was like, no. They're like, yeah, really look into that. I was like, sit. 2019 comes, I get fully cleared. There's no cancer in my body. Wow. In that week, I proposed to my amazing girlfriend who walked through those three years with me. And I was like, you my ride or die. <laughs> Literally. And it took me on a journey where that truly perseverance really does produce character if you lean into it. And I remember when I got the news, I am sitting in my hospital bed, in my hospital chair, and they said, Jill, this might be cancer. I get up from the bed, and I sit in that little chair, and I just put my hands up, and I said, Lord, your word says that you do not forsake the righteous. In that moment, I felt the presence of God come into that room, and I started laughing. I can only imagine what these nurses and RNs are thinking like, that guy's crazy. <laughs> But I'm sitting there because I'm going, Lord, if I die today, you will get the glory. But if I live, you will also get the glory. My life is not my own. It does not matter what comes my way. I have completely surrendered everything to you, Jesus. Now, if I am gone today, my life was a vapor. But if I choose to, if I, if you choose for me to stay, it is still a vapor. season. I remember after I came out of the hospital, my heart was this. Keep forgiving. Yeah. And I heard the Lord say, Joe, honor your father and mother that you would have a long life. And I realized that I was shortening my life by my offense. <laughs> I think a lot of us want to be the most, sometimes like, we want to see a revival, God, and I'm all for it. Trust me. You can ask Andrew, like, I like, yell yeah, all the time for it, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I think the Lord is shouting back, goes, let me get to those deep places of your heart, and let me encounter you with personal revival. I want to take you in where the presence of God is your only option. It's the, it's the thing that you run to. It's the thing that you stay in. It's who you are because you've been honest with me. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to read some John 15 for you. John 15 verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he brings, and it may bear more fruit. 
Be already clean because of the word which I spoke to you. Abide in me and I in you. Everyone say that with me. Abide in me. I'll have your voice. Come on. Abide in me. Abide in me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Really understand this. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. <laughs> How many of you love avocado in this room? Put your hands up. Everyone loves avocado, right? If you don't like avocado, we'll give it all to Paul. She set free. Okay, how many of you like like a uh, uh, tomato? You know, I hate tomato. Yeah. Sorry, I just fooled you guys. I was putting my hands up. Uh, how about how about uh, oranges? Right? We love oranges. Right? What about mango? Come on now. Right? We love mango. What about? What about kiwi? It's like underrated fruit, I think, low key, but it's so fire. You know, give it a little acai bowl. I think a lot of times we we want to be light. We want to be an avocado. We want to be put on everything, displayed on everything. Right? We want to be talked about. Is this avocado so good? You know what I'm saying? Like, is that so great? But why is it $14? I don't get it. You know, anyways. Right? Like, and John 15 saying this you are not called to be a fruit, you're called to be a branch. Let's read. I am the vine, and you are branches. You are branches. He who abides in me, I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he casts out as a branch, and he is withered. And, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask of me the desires of your heart, and it shall be done for you. But this, my Father, is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy, my, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Can I say that it doesn't say happiness there? Joy. I want to let you know. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do, if you do whatever I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I've heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I have chosen you and appointed you. 
that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things have commanded you that you would love one another. That you would love one another. And I believe if you understand this principle of John 15, that you cannot do anything apart from him, that you, if you don't understand this, this posture of the heart that you are called to be a branch, and that's why I love that breakthrough has a prayer room. Because in the place of prayer, you're like this, a branch. And you're pasting across rooms, and it doesn't make sense to those on the outside, but it makes so much sense to God. You get in that place of prayer, and you no longer want to be a vengeance, but he calls you to be a vengeance. No longer do you want to see a revival or be a revival, all these different things. You actually experience it and then you pray it out because it's in you. Yeah. 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 Oh. That's right. So when we say, God, encounter heaven come to Lynchburg. As is in heaven, so be it here in Lynchburg, Virginia. That is not an, a, a cool phrase, a, a hype moment. It is the reality of an encounter that led to transformation. And all of a sudden, it becomes your vocabulary. It becomes what you dream about. It becomes what you pray about. It becomes what the whole focus is about, what you encounter. You want your friends to taste and see that he's good. Charles yeah. Finney. Love him. He says... Someone asked him, what is revival? They said this, it's restoring lost sons and daughters back to the Father. And he goes, there's times that I am with God, and it's as liquid love falls down on me. Because that's what revival, when it comes, it's like liquid love falling on you. Stand with me this morning. 